Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live online interactive bi-weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters around the fruited plains of the world. This is your uh, uh, your hosts, George, N2APB, and Joe, N2CX. And for the next hour or so, we'll be kind of uh, talking about topics of technology and homebrewing and and uh, related to ham radio and QRP and and technologies all all concerning that that are interest to us and hopefully to you who are here with us live this evening as well as uh, those who are are in the uh, the podcast listeners group and we do know that you uh, the number there is great and we appreciate you following us and uh, we continue to work on making this an exciting program and valuable for your time that you invest uh, with us. Now, just a quick uh, aside before we get into tonight's topic, um, which is RFI Detective. And uh, we wanted to mention, of course, that we've been off the air for the last couple of episodes, which amounts to about four weeks now, or maybe almost four weeks, I think, um, when, uh, as, as a result of uh, Hurricane Sandy and the superstorm that hit the northeast portion of the United States, which happens to be where Joe and I live, uh, fortunately we were not affected too much at all. Um, a little bit of power outages, but the people along the coast, especially along the coast of New Jersey, uh, New York City, and Long Island, and Connecticut, and Rhode Island, and Massachusetts all were uh, very, very greatly hit. In fact, I think, I don't know if I had to uh, rate what was the worst hit area, but from what our close-up view that we had over here, uh, it looked like the upper upstate New Jersey and New York City area really got clobbered. And for that reason, um, out of respect for the activities going on in this corner of the nation, as well as some of the activities that Joe and I were involved in as far as uh, lending a hand to those in need um, and, and just plain old being busy uh, for that reason. We uh, it did not have um, the chat with the designers for a couple of uh, episodes in a row. And if you didn't catch it, I think uh, just a couple of stats. Uh, I think you, everybody's probably seen it, but it's really quite amazing. This uh, There were records that were shattered for number of people uh, without power, um, over 3 million outages, 3 million outages in New York and Pennsylvania alone, um, 750,000 residents in the uh, New, New York area were without power. Entire communities along the upstate New Jersey shorelines, um, Staten Island of uh, New York City proper, were obliterated essentially, and um, people are still are still affected with uh, power outages today. I don't know what the uh, the number of power uh, outages that uh, are still in effect are, but it's still a lot. It's in the hundreds of thousands, despite uh, the cities and, and regional municipalities and assistance being given to them by the line workers and such. There are still many, many people without power, and tonight, as with other nights, but tonight it's dipping down even colder into the third, low 30s temperature-wise. Um, and uh, we feel for those people that are living by candlelight and without power, uh, it's a tough thing to do. And 
And as I had indicated in our um, the invitation to the chat with the designers session again, um, many hems, many homebrewers, many listeners of, of chat with the designers, many of our fellow hobbyists are involved or are included in in those problem uh, devastated areas. And our hearts continue to go out to them. And I hope, I hope, I hope that you found it in your heart to help out in whatever way that you can in your local areas through your relief agencies, Red Cross, uh, whatever donations that you might have been able to, to scrape together. It will be appreciated and it will have been appreciated. Being on site there a little bit, only a little bit myself, I can really attest to the uh, the total, total, um, I, the, the words escape me as far as just being um, how hard that those areas were hit. And I was just on the outskirts. Like I, I could not even get into the into the really bad areas. Um, but just seeing the people and the, the, the results of their homes and their towns and their lives, me um, really has your, your heart go out to them. So we continue to give our prayers and, and assistance where we can, how we can. And, uh, and life goes on, and we rebuild, and we continue on with our families, our lives, and and uh, and in um, our hobby. And here we are today. Uh, so chat with the designers is uh, is on again. And as I said, our topic uh, this time is um, RFI detective. Now we've had actually what what kind of drove us to this particular topic selection were you folks. We had a number of people actually. Two or three people piped up and said that, man, that would be a great topic. Joe and I kind of cringed and uh, because it, on one hand it's so expansive. There's a huge area of RFI um, and so many causes and so much seemingly mystery. And, and truly there is mystery, some mystery to it. And especially to the measurement and detection area of, of it. And the mitigation is somewhat very specialized. Um, and then when more and more people chimed in and said, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Let's do RFI, RFI. Uh, we cringed even more, but bit the bullet and, and really kind of hunkered down. And, and Joe, in his usual great way, did a great amount of research, pulling together from his own knowledge and expertise and, and digging into the re references uh, around and came up with an excellent, outstanding list of references in the bottom of the whiteboard page. Um and uh, um, ultimately, we have a lot of great references uh, um, to be working from tonight. Okay, so tonight we're going to be getting into the RFI detective. Uh, I gave you the, the uh, a bit of background on how we cringe on it, but and really, it, it's a great it's a great um, refresher for us too. Back to basic, back to basics, basic principles. I think there are. Two or three, the top usually the top references we give in our, our reference section at the bottom of the page are the best, and truly there is the the best this time. I don't have it in front of me, but there is one that is uh, called audio. I'm gonna dial down to it so I can uh, explain it. Uh, Web link reference number one. Um, it's RFI Ham. It's AudioSystemsGroup.com. Something about RFI for the Ham. It's a PDF file. And uh, that, to me, was the best out of the whole bunch. Joe, you you done good in finding that one. And essentially, it really covered and down down to earth basics of how to handle shielding, how to how to use effectively twisted pair, 
how to ground, what it means to ground, where to ground a shield, um, how to deal with RFI um, on your signal pads, on your um, in your radio, um, how it gets into your audio amplifiers if you happen to be an audiophile and so on. And it uh, kind of gets down and dirty. It, it's a really good reference. But again, RFI tends to be one of those things where it's, it's if you really go back to the basics and understand is the it's the source of your interference, the is the source of the RFI coming into your system. Is it common mode or differential mode? Uh, is it uh, due to your own signals that you're emanating, or is it to some other thing like trains and and faulty sodium arc lamps out in the street? that are kind of getting coupled into your radio systems and causing you problems. These are the things that we're going to be discussing tonight, and I think they're fascinating. Now, we have some great material. Um, for those of you who are near the, your uh, your whiteboard here, like those of you who are live with us tonight, or and those podcasters who are listening later on be able to listen uh, to check out the white page, uh, our, our whiteboard, uh, we included another section here. Um, I found a, a delightful site that was a collection of um, um, a fellow ham's own detective work and tracking down different sources of interference that he's experienced. Some of the ones that I mentioned just a minute ago were, were, were from him. He has about 10 others that are just fabulous. And there's some links that he provides to video or mostly audio recordings of the kind of interference as it sounds when he's doing it. And, uh, I urge you to, to, to give a shot at that you know, when you get a chance. And actually, best to go to his website because it really outlines, um, it provides the full detail of how he made the observations, linked the clues together to find the source of the interfering signals such that he could then do something about it when, whenever possible. Sometimes it was just to operate when that sound is not possible, not present. And then also, Typically, as, as, we, as we often try to do, we normally have a project associated with the topic for the evening of Chat with the Designers. Tonight is no exception. And we have a really, it's kind of such a simple project, and it's such a simple circuit that um, on, on one hand, it's almost like, well, why even go ahead and do it? But on the other hand, it's kind of, it's kind of useful. We're going to describe a technique um, that, uh, that Joe kind of uh, discovered and and maybe uh, uh, uses it a bit on his own using the 817, the FT817 radio as a bit of a an RFI detector and waving it around the shack in order to try to find a source of uh, audio or of um, RFI interference. Well, our project for this this evening is is an even simpler one. It was in a recent issue of Elector Magazine, and I have to thank our our, our really good friend here and. And uh, honorary co-host Joe Jessen, JJ, KC2VGL. Oh, he's online here tonight. Very good, JJ. Um, JJ pointed this project out to us uh, some three months ago when it first came out. And I really didn't see the value or the benefit. I didn't pay much attention to it then. But then as time went on, and especially when we peaked up our, our focus on RFI detective work, it became an obvious choice to build up. Now, I'm in the process of building this little guy up. And um, maybe we can talk about it next week. We can talk through it tonight for sure from a schematic and operational standpoint. And it turns out to be a little hand wand 
uh, battery-operated wand that will output some sound through speakers or little earbuds that you have uh, plugged into it. And then you wave it around at different things that are in your shack that might go beep and boop and buzz in the night and cause you all sorts of problems that you didn't realize. And, and I've got a story, I think I've told it before, but it's worthy, again, of a power supply, uh, an AC adapter. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But Joe, do you want to kind of take it over here and set the stage for, um, you know, kind of like the get us started in the basics of RFI and uh, how it relates, how we relate to it, and how we want to snub that as much as we can. Okay, very good, George. Yeah, yeah, RFI is uh, is with everybody. It's amazing uh, how how much it uh, it comes up. Um, I have to admit, I have some RFI in my area that uh, is not apparently not locally generated and I've been able to unable to uh, identify and kill everything so uh, <laughs> I, I've snubbed a whole bunch of uh, sources here in the shack but uh, I live in an area that uh, has a, a lot of uh, high tension lines and uh, and various other things around that uh, uh, are not under my control at any rate, main uh, main idea is, and if you look at the whiteboard, the very top of the whiteboard, there's a, a picture which kind of illustrates what we're talking about. It shows uh, power lines that uh, can be generating uh, electrical noise. They can be radiated into your antenna from the power lines. Um, they can be radiated into your feed line, uh, if you're not careful. Or they can be conducted into your house, and then they use the, uh, the power lines in your own house as um, radiators to uh, put the noise into your uh, into your house into your rig and in addition um, you can even uh, uh, there can even be some conducted noise that uh, can come into grounds and get in the uh, into your uh, antenna system there's a whole bunch of sources to uh, to uh, uh, give you those beeps and boops and and noises and, and sounds that uh, interfere with your uh, reception of ham signals. So the first um, the first step in uh, in dealing with them is to try to uh, identify some characteristics about them so that you can uh, try to see what the source might be. Um, you, you can listen to what's in your receiver and um, note the characteristics of the signal. Um, maybe uh, Things like a buzzing noise might be a, a light dimmer, might be something on the power line. Um, a whistle that um, kind of goes through the signal might be something like a switching power supply, and it's not a stable frequency source. So as its frequency changes, it'll kind of warble and, and uh, sweep through uh, sweep through your what you're listening to. Also, things like switching power supplies and TV horizontal oscillators repeat every uh, TVO horizontal oscillators repeat every 15.75 uh, kilohertz up the band. So anyway, you can you can uh, get a head start on identifying things that way. The ARRL has a site, uh, list URL is listed in the in the white page with the sounds of RFI, uh, which is very good. It's fairly comprehensive, the sorts of things you might run into. And, uh, you know, household appliances, computers, um, intentional RF emitters, VPL, and miscellaneous equipment. So the first step is to try to identify them 
and then uh, after you identify them, you want to mitigate them. Um, and there are a number of ways of doing that. But um, as George mentioned, um, one of the things I like to use is something like an FT817 uh, uh, powered uh, uh, by its own internal batteries so that you have a portable uh, portable source to uh, listen for the uh, the beeps and boops and noises, try to uh, wander around your house and see what's going on. Let me take a break and see if there are any questions at this point before I get into any more depth. Any uh, questions so far? Hey, okay, I don't hear any. I expect hey, along hey, the way. Hey, yes. Uh, can you kind of address something that is not always clear to me? Um, we all know that there are two kinds of radiation, um, electro, um, uh, uh, E-field and H-field. Um, the H-field is a magnetic radiation and both have an effect. In fact, maybe at any given time, one is more predominant than the other. But um, how do we feel? Uh, how do those two different types of interference manifest? And is one able to determine that by the kind of noise that we hear in the radios or or whatnot? Or is to us is it all like just one? One big thing. The mitigation tends to be a little bit different, but is it does it all manifest in the same manner? Well, that's an open-ended question. <laughs> yeah, indeed, there are uh, there are significant differences. Um, things like electric, something with an electric spark, electric arc in it, um, a sparking um, a motor with the sparking contacts would generally generate an electric field, which um, which would be uh, would would radiate into antennas per se uh, sources of magnetic H um, uh, field type noise would be things like horizontal oscillator transformers um, and the yoke on the TV set or um, indeed switching power supplies the the um, telling the two apart is not always easy one thing I have particularly found is that um, while the E fields tend to radiate into antennas, the um, they and be shielded by the metal in a, a given receiver, the magnetic fields are a little more um, nefarious. Um, they can radiate. They are stopped mainly only by ferromagnetic material or very good Faraday shields. Uh, and what you have to do with them is to try to uh, eliminate them at the source or to, to, or to mitigate them. One really powerful example I saw years ago, I was working on an LF uh, comm system, and um, we were channelized, and we had certain channels in the receiver that really had some interference. What I found out was that it was, even with no antenna on the receiver, we were receiving this signal. I had no idea what it was. And I had this thought, I realized that the operating frequency was a multiple of the horizontal oscillator frequency of uh, uh, TV sets and, as it turned out, uh, computer monitors. So I rotated the computer monitor and the signal from the, uh, the yoke on this uh, monitor was um, directional, had a figure eight pattern, and I could actually rotate the darn thing and null out the signal. So that it wasn't radiated into the uh, the uh, 
receiver anymore. Generally, uh, magnetic field stuff is, is primarily close, close-in stuff, and, and the ways to get rid of it are to use magnetic, uh, ferromagnetic or uh, iron shielding to get rid of them. Or if, as with a monitor, you can uh, rotate the uh, defending device to try to null it. With electric field stuff, um, and with both of them, proximity matters. With the electric field stuff, it radiates primarily into antennas. So the idea is to keep the things away from um, the sources away from antennas or to take other measures to keep it from being conducted in other things that will radiate into the uh, into the sources. So that's a, a short treatise in a nutshell, George. Ah, uh, okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. And especially if you kind of equate it to, we've talked in the past about uh, loop antennas. And you know that I've got a a magnetic loop in the backyard, an all-band magnetic loop, and we've talked before about the uh, the large, uh, what do we call it, the midnight uh, the midnight loop, large flat surface area. Those are magnetic loops, and they um, deal with uh, with magnetic uh, fields that are transmitted um, that are that are uh, well, they they deal with the magnetic fields. And there are magnetic fields and there are electric uh, fields essentially um, all over all the time. That's where we get the nature of the electromagnetic radiation. Um, and it's just interesting to see that um, those fields, whether magnetic or E-field, are able to um, cause uh, the problems in this, in this RFI area. You know, the, um, you, you might comment, if, if you could, um, the nature of some of the the way that RFI can get into a radio and cause some of the problems. Um, obviously, it, if it's a transmitted signal, it's, it, it obviously comes in and and uh, either is uh, detected as a as any signal would be detected and overwhelms the um, uh, the signals that you're trying to receive that contain information. Another way too is that the and and kind of get me on a straight and narrow here, Joe, is that the the um we call it RF. If RF is generated in the shack and it's unwanted, it's un it's not handled properly, you know, like if you don't have a good ground, if you don't have good uh, shielding for your transmitted signals, uh, whatever, that the RF energy, the E fields are get into the electronics and ultimately because of nonlinear devices, and this is my point. The nonlinear devices that abound in nature, uh, the semiconductor junctions are are uh, quintessential. Um, the uh, uh, nonlinear junctions, and they are the the, the nonlinearity causes a mixing and rebroadcasting, and, and and really all sorts of problems that come about from that uh, the nature of the. Uh, different kinds of nonlinear junctions in the radio, whether they are in the existing semiconductors or in poor connections and circuit boards and poor connections in towers or things like that. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, interesting you should mention that. Uh, let me uh, separate that into several, several subtopics. Um, I should have mentioned magnetic loop antennas. Uh, that was a good, uh, good catch, George. Um, Actually, the, the loop to um, um, 
loop, even a magnetic loop antenna to a signal from far off, the far field signals, looks at the entire electromagnetic signal. Uh, close in, it's more of a, a magnetic uh, field generator and receiver. So um, that being the case, many sources of electrical noise that we encounter due to uh, electrical appliances or whatever else tend to be vertically polarized. That's just the nature of the beast. And using um, vertical antennas will tend to uh, get rid of the, the noise. And the, the noise is also predominantly um, E-field, electric field. And at least at close-in signals, the magnetic loops are more responsive to magnetic fields. And they tend to, um, tend to cancel out reception of the uh, locally generated E-fields if, uh, if they're built symmetrically and, and built properly. So there'll be some, some net noise suppression from local noise just, uh, just from using a magnetic loop antenna. In addition to which, you can rotate the uh, magnetic loop. It has a figure eight pattern. You can quite often rotate the darn thing to null out your noise source. So that's kind of a handy way of, of getting rid of some uh, local, local noise that you can't get rid of any other way you have no control over is by using a magnetic loop to receive and to null out the noise. Now the other stuff um, about how signals get into, into your receiver, into your equipment, um, indeed, it can be radiated indirectly as the magnetic field, which is fairly rare. The, the thing I noticed about the LF receiver was primarily because we had a monitor so close to the receiver and we were operating at uh, nine or ten times the horizontal oscillator frequency. So the signal is pretty strong there. By the time you get up into HF, the magnetic field, the harmonics at uh, HF are not going to probably not be much of a matter unless you have a monitor sitting directly alongside your receiver. So what you'll have is conducted interference. And uh, shielding is very important. Um, you want to have a shielded receiver if you possibly can, so that stuff doesn't just radiate directly in. And to use either balanced feed lines or some sort of coaxial cable, both of which will tend to uh, uh, minimize the noise getting in. Um, ideally, uh, you'd want to have the noise source as far away from your antenna as possible. But at times, if you have, for example, a, a coaxial cable directly feeding a dipole antenna, as we spoke about uh, several, probably months ago, if you have a balanced antenna with, with an unbalanced feed line, a coaxial feed line, the outer conductor, the, um, the outer outside surface of the uh, shield of the coax will actually conduct energy and uh, conduct it up through the antenna into the, um, into the coax. So one way to get rid of that is to use uh, choke balance um, or chokes consisting of uh, magnetic cores on the coaxial cable at the antenna end to keep the, the junk that would be uh, picked up by the shield from getting into uh, the antenna and then thus into the coaxial cable. Similarly, uh, things like uh, putting uh, uh, clamp-on cores, we do have some pictures of them. Uh, figure five 
in our white page. Some clamp-on cores or some other cores around the um, coaxial cable or a toroid ferrite choke on um, even power cables and audio cables will tend to keep the, the longitudinal um, energy, the stuff flowing along the, uh, the cable from uh, propagating into your radio. Um, on the other hand, if you have uh, uh, stuff that is directly conducted on uh, conductors going into the radio, balanced signal perhaps, or power lines, the way to get rid of them is to use some sort of filter. And later on in the, uh, in the white page, let me scroll down a little bit, there's a picture of uh, some line filters shown there, some commercial line filters, which filter both sides of the line with chokes and have uh, parallel capacitors form kind of a, a double pie to, uh, to eliminate it. So those are some of the ways you get it out. Now, that would primarily be from E-fields. Magnetic fields are less of an issue unless you happen to be close to, um, close to a monitor or indeed uh, some high-power switching power supplies can radiate directly into your radio. And the best way of getting rid of them is uh, by uh, moving them as far away as possible. Back to you, George. Really interesting. And by the way, I, I'm not sure if you said it or I was thinking it, and, but the clamp-on diode, the clamp-on um, chokes, uh, the ferrites, um, I've read that they are not as effective as the continuous loop ones, and I just suspect it's because the, um, uh, the greater permeability, or actually it's the greater the greater effect of the of the choke and then the captured uh go ahead yeah it's because of the gap you don't have a continuous magnetic core there's a little air gap where the two ends come together yeah so if you have an opportunity i guess the moral of this story that story is that if you have an opportunity to put in a a uh, a continuous toroid versus a clamp on um you you might want to do that now with the uh, the new psk modem Oh, and I see Milt here. Hi, Milt. Um, we we had we had a uh, we have we experienced a lot of um, uh, opportunity. Let's say our custom our, our uh, the users of the modem had really had an opportunity to see a lot of RF energy come into the modem, and I think experience what we were talking about a moment ago is how you know the rf energy comes in and reacts with the circuits in a way that disrupts it and one of the ways is that you know it it generates uh unwanted signals in you know, unexpected places but it gets into the modem it gets into electronics when it can get into the cables uh that are not shielded or not special care taken so one of the things that we can do is to for example if you know what the mo our modem is um we, it, it has an outboard keyboard uh, connects to the modem via cable. You can use, you can um, either put on a shielded cable, uh, a well-shielded cable, like perhaps from a mouse, use a mouse cable, as Milt, Milt kind of van, was the vanguard in that uh, that effort. Um, you can take the, the existing uh, cord, again, in this case, it's the keyboard cable that plugs into the device, or it could be something else that plugs into your, your electronic device, and wrap it numerous times around a core, such as what's shown here in the, on the whiteboard with a zip cord going through a large um, toroid. And uh, that has a tendency to reduce the RF that gets into the sensitive electronics. In that case there, 
that's when people using zip cord, you know, the standard power cord, low number 16, number 18 wire power cord as a uh, um, as speaker wire, which is not the greatest thing to do at all. Um, and but but you can help remedy that situation of keeping RF out of your audio amplifier and speakers and such by using a toroid, such as uh, you've described there, Joe. So um, those are ways of keeping it out. Now I think the next thing that right there on that on that whiteboard is something that was incredibly eye-opening to me, and I'd like to spend just a few us to spend a few minutes on it. And Joe, I'll set the stage for you. It's called the pin one problem. The pin one problem, and there's a little diagram there uh, that simply shows, or actually somewhat diagrammatically shows the uh, um, the shielding that one would normally have on a cable, such as I've just described, going into some electronic circuitry, some signal circuitry, and where it would be common, and I as a designer and many of us as designers would take that shield and put it right to the connector shell which connects to the circuit board ground and we think we're doing a really really good job well the um, again that article that I referenced um, um, a bit ago um, RFI for the ham I think it was item number two in the reference list it goes through this this case example in great detail and very very eye-opening and in a nutshell he says that this is the number one sin that all that almost all commercial units, that almost all of us hams um, and designers uh, and, uh, do inadvertently, um, and that wasn't done in the past as much, and and that is of course to connect the shield to uh, directly to the circuit board. Now that's that's kind of an intuitive approach, and that would be shown on the left-hand side of that diagram, Figure Two, the Pin One problem, and they indicate that as being wrong. And the thing that that should be done is to take that shield and provide and provide a path for those unwanted signals that are essentially collected and, and so on to get to the actual ground ground of the system, which is at the power supply unit, be that a uh, an AC unit, uh, AC to DC converter, or just a 12 volt power supply or a 12 volt uh, regulator. Um, and it's interesting, Joe, and I'll turn it over to you in just a moment here. But it's interesting. He says that that this happened uh, at the transition time when we really got into kind of componentized circuit boards and connectors that became mounted to circuit boards instead of to the front panels. So you notice, you know, in the in the days of the boat anchors, connectors were uh, were connected, were, were inserted and mounted to front panels, and that's where the grounding was to the shell of the circuit, not necessarily to the circuit board. And uh, I guess a good designer, a good home brewer, would uh, would not take that signal uh, and uh, take that shell, that uh, that chassis, and, and ground it to the circuit board at every opportunity with the signal path, but just take the signal to the ground to the to the circuit board. But now with today's today's connectors that are mounted on that are made to mount right on the connectors and I do it and, and everybody that I know does it, um, the connector shell is connected to the circuit board ground. So you're bringing the signal in, you're taking the, the shield and you're bringing it right in by the side and you're coupling in all of that 
energy essentially that that uh, that you really want to take and, and get away from the, the sensitive circuits in the manner of as described on the right hand side of that figure two pin one problem. Um, Joe, did I describe that convoluted enough? Oh, that's not bad. By the way, George, the uh, K9YC paper is the audio systems group thing that uh, was the RFI ham uh, paper, the reference you mentioned. I put that on the whiteboard, although I misspelled it, or on the uh, the comments, although I misspelled it. Yeah, you, you got the gist of it right. The idea is that um, by putting the shield of the... Uh, uh, the coax onto the or cable of the audio cable, damn it, onto the uh, uh, printed circuit board. You have a lot of impedance build up to uh, all the wiring that comes from everything from the board down to the power supply unit. And what you really want to do is you want to have a good single point ground where everything is returned to, so that um, all the the uh, all the intermediate wiring doesn't have inductance and uh, resistance added to it so that the um, the noise uh, generated in various circuits feed back up through all these impedances and, and get into your uh, signal path. So connecting to the shield of the box, having a good single point shield that everything is connected directly to, not through a bunch of intervening wiring. Everything, every ground should go to the, uh, uh, from the various uh, um, circuit segments should go to the single point ground and that'd be the shield of the box so that you don't build up uh, ground loops and have noise build up on all the intervening wiring and uh, printed circuit boards and computers certainly have uh, have added to that problem one other way around it although you have to design from scratch is to get to uh, to uh, circumvent the um, the problem entirely and use balanced audio balanced uh, audio in and out and there the shield is just a shield so that it, it doesn't enter into the signal path and cause you problems all right um i didn't want to dwell too much on it but i think this is something uh, if you buy into the notion that that um that condition is 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 not good i think it's something that we all of us encounter whether we're building something here from scratch or or um uh, even just putting together some of the kits that commercial manufacturers uh, do, and it says something. If you want to read that uh, that K9YC article that I've been referencing, um, that there's a section in there that does it much more eloquently than than I've described it. But nonetheless, um, you you hit the nail there on the head, Joe. As far as when you're going to bring the shield into the circuit board. And you don't do it so carefully as to make it be to a common star point kind of common ground. You have an opportunity to bring all the gudge into the system as well and have it travel along the ground path of your that your signal takes, your circuitry processing takes on the way of getting to the uh, the ultimate ground of the system kind of depicted in at the bottom of that diagram. Um, I'm wondering if anybody has. Uh, oh, and, and one final one final question point on this one here. Um, K9YC went through a. Uh, he made a special point of saying that essentially um, all sound cards today that he's encountered experience this pin one problem, and um, and uh, the sound card is what we focus on these days with SDR technology, trying to get the greatest dynamic range, lowest noise coming into the system. 
Um, and that's that that kind of a an operation and uh, configuration of the of the shielding and handling of that is is just opposite to the goals that we're trying to achieve. So maybe this is something to uh, to look at if we're trying to really optimize some low signal processing and keep the signal very clean coming into the computer into the outboard uh, sound card or or whatnot. So why don't we open this? Uh, Joe, did you have something to add? Very quickly, yes. Um, that whole thing is why the people who make the interface boxes hook up your radio and your modem and whatever to your computer uh, make a fortune because they have transformer isolation in there that gets you away from that problem. Indeed, that is true. And that's one of the easiest things that we can do in making up our own isolation uh, boxes when we're coupling sig uh, signals into and out of computers or even um, between different radios um, is to uh, to isolate those those particular paths. Hey, I noticed that uh, Clint, KA7OEI, is with us tonight. Very good uh, to have you with us here, Clint. And you're a, you're a great home brewer. Um, and uh, have you kind of experienced uh, some of the things we're talking about here or at least have an opinion about some of the grounding and shielding? And K9YC talks uh, at great length about twisted pair. The, he extols... Uh, the virtues of twisted pair as being so wonderful, and I think it is, and not many of us really know the value and the benefit of uh, simple twisted pair as much, and even in place of shields. Milt, I know you're you're listening. How about you? And in your in your design experience on the bench, uh, you do an awful lot of experimenting and and low signal kind of work, and um, you know the materials pretty well here. How about any experiences along this way? Yeah. Uh I find that uh, the single point grounding certainly does uh, minimize the the noise. Uh, the digital mode interface that I built up, I use uh, isolation transformers, and that that does seem to help a whole lot. Without the isolation transformers, when I first started on PSK, I had a lot of problems with uh, a hum and uh, other noise getting through. And uh, it, it's it's certainly a good approach to have the single point um, grounding, and I think we've moved in that direction with the new PSK modem. Uh, it's probably it's still not perfect, but we've made significant improvements there. Uh, I would also make a comment uh, on some earlier things you said about uh, antennas and so on. Uh, most people may not be aware of it, but locally generated noise tends to be vertically polarized simply because the horizontal ground wave is very highly attenuated whereas the vertically polarized ground wave has low attenuation so what we receive tends to be vertically polarized and in tying in with that uh, the, uh, Joe's comments about the uh, pickup on the uh, shield of the coax uh, if you don't have a uh, uh, UNAN unbalanced to balanced connection at the antenna, you can have a lot of noise pickup in the coax of your feed. And I know many people just feed a dipole with, directly with coax, but it's not a real good idea. Uh, I also have a situation where I'm very close to a power line. Uh, my antenna is probably only 15, 20 feet from the power line. And if I rotate my Yagi away from it, I get three to four S-unit drop in the noise. And if I switch to a 
a dipole antenna that's about 50 feet away, I also get a significant reduction. But uh, anyhow, I'm uh, glad you're discussing these things. There are a lot of issues with respect to RFI and EMC. Back to you. Thank you, Milt. Those are great comments. And uh, boy, it's great to have you with us here tonight. So uh, there, there's actually so much material that I, I'm, I know that I'm going to feel that we, at the end of an hour, hour and a quarter, that we're not going to have covered as much as we wanted to or should have. But we're trying to hit some of the high points here. Um, one of the high points that, that I think is just a, of extreme uh, usefulness to us as, as home brewers and, and QRPers just in general on the bench is the noise that's generated, is the RF, uh, is the electrical noise, the RFI that's generated in the shack that has a tendency to affect our signals and our reception. Um, and, and I'll do my obligatory story again. I'll make it the short version this time, but while working on, um, a receiver and kind of fine tuning some, uh, processing for an SDR receiver here on the bench one, time a couple a couple um, winters ago actually and I had the receiver going and I had this buzz every so often it was pretty regular in the spectrum in other words it was every 60 kilohertz or something like that and I, I had a feeling that it was uh, generated right here in the shack or in the house I just could not find it so I went through methodically unplugging the unnecessary things and trying to find out what uh, what caused it? And long story short, was that it was an AC adapter for my um, LCD monitor of the computer. Um, I don't know. It wasn't an HP. It should have been an HP, perhaps, but it was just a it was a, a secondary market thing. And I, it was generating. It's a, it was a switching power supply, and thus it had a an oscillator in there that was used to uh, to ultimately create the the 12 volts necessary for the um, for the uh, the display, but that oscillator was getting into coupling somehow either through uh, the ether or through the cabling uh, of the AC line into my receiver and caused me a heck of a time, you know, masking problems and so on. And to this day, when I'm talking with people who are dealing with this receiver and they're they mentioned that there's some noise in there. I, I point this out that, you know, looked around your shack to see what's causing it. Uh, Joe, other other kinds of things in the shack that could cause, or, or the house even. And I remind you of uh, that one other story that I won't go into, but it was the, the heater in the hot tub way out in the backyard was causing a problem here. And I could actually see it. I, I, I took an oscilloscope and I put it on the AC waveform and I could see at a certain portion of the every single waveform not the entire 360 degrees of it, but just at, a, at the top right, you know, top right, de, right of dead center, if you will, uh, there was garbage and some kind of goings on, and that was the cause of it. But other kinds of things in the shack that we need to be cautious of, Joe. Anything electrical. <laughs> These days, uh, switching power supplies are used in many, many, many products, um, TV sets. Um, well, anything electronic, and they can be an extreme source of uh, of noise. Um, even things like well, light dimmers. Certainly, I've had uh, had a light dimmer in a bedroom one time that uh, 
was also RFI sensitive. And the problem was that when I, uh, when I would key up my transmitter, it would turn the dang going light on. And uh, then when I, when uh, I unkeyed the transmitter, I had this background noise and um, it would stay for my session. And then the next day it would come back again, but only after I transmitted. Um, finally, my wife said, uh, hey, you know, every time you get on that darn ham radio, the lights in the bedroom turn on. Well, that, that told me that that's what it was. But uh, switching power supplies and SCR uh, switching devices, SCRs and triacs are used in many elect electronic products, speed controls for uh, um, even electric fans, they're used in, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, microwave ovens. They're used in uh, the heater, air conditioning. Um, anything electronic or anything electrical these days is likely to have some sort of uh, um, switching power supply or something that uses an SCR that has some switching in it that will uh, cause the noise. Uh, shucks, even toasters probably have variable uh, intensity heating. So they probably uh, use something like that under computer control. And indeed, computers. Computers have um, high-speed switching circuits that operate at uh, radio frequencies. They generate many harmonics and uh, can uh, give you fits. Uh, intermittently, I see a light come on, and I hear a burp or whatever. Ah, sure does my Joe, Thank you. Joe, I've uh, got a couple comments real quick. Yeah, go ahead, Milton. Uh, yeah, two specific examples that I've had is the switching supply for a router for my home network, and you, you touched on it briefly on the air conditioning. A couple years ago, I had one of the units replaced, and they've switched their uh, fan control system to uh, pulse width modulated, and I was getting uh, horrendous noise from that. They did come in and put filters on it. It was being conducted through the power line. Once they got it off the power line, it cleared up. Anyhow, two two uh, examples that uh, hit me pretty hard. Excellent. Yeah, I, as a matter of fact, I've heard that with heaters before. Apparently, the manufacturers know of this, and at least the reputable ones, if you mention a problem, will uh, provide the filters to get rid of the noise, as apparently was your case. Yeah, yeah, very good. And uh, automobiles, although we're not talking about uh, mobile stuff, automobiles have many digital devices in there. So they are also a uh, generator of uh, electrical noise. And uh, any of the lights we have around, some of the, now not all, but compact fluorescents are horrible for this because they have a uh, switching power supply in there. But even some of the LED lights, some use um, a pulse width modulation, control the intensity, so um, they can uh, generate the noise. Point being, many of the things in your house, even things you wouldn't even consider having um, any fancy electronics in them, may have a pulse width modulator or something switching, so they'll generate noise. So when you do a uh, survey through your house and you're looking for noise sources, um, try everything. Um, anything that is connected to the um, to the line, the AC line, can be a potential noise source. Hey, uh, Joe, one more quick comment about tracking down some of that noise. Oh, good. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's, we're getting right into that section, Milt. Okay. What I have found is I use a uh, something like a VX5 that will operate on two meters or 440 AM. 
and I have I have a little homebrew three element 440 Yagi, and I can even go around the house with that and uh, note and find the sources. The the worst one I found was a bad insulator on the power pole across the street. But uh, going to the uh, high frequency and operating AM uh, with a little portable unit, your FD817 would also do the job well, but the the uh, little VX5 is even a little more portable. Go ahead. Excellent, uh, excellent comments. In fact, Joe Jessen had mentioned to me shortly before the session and he worked for a company who made UHF receivers with little Yaggies that power companies use to track down noise sources. Back to you, George. Yeah, uh, that, that's that's really true, and it's a great. I think that's probably one of the takeaways for tonight, and and that is uh, um, indications of what things around the house and the shack, um, or even around the neighborhood you know, such as street lamps and whatnot, that might be causing some problems and how you can track them down. Again, I point you to um, the portion of our web page, of our whiteboard that uh, from the OM2, I, I forgot his call sign, but he has a wonderful, wonderful web page of his own, and I just took extracted excerpts from it. Um, examples of RFI interference, interference in general that he was tracking down and the sources of it. And it's, it's, he has a really interesting way of describing it. And I urge you to go to that. I put some samples here on our, on our whiteboard, uh, faulty street lamp. Um, and he has a little, uh, the case of the, of the tunnel, the case of the, uh, the Al Bundy missing shoe, the train case. So a train going by over a kilometer away, um, was causing some interference that he was able to detect in his uh, in his uh, radios. And like Milt said, the you know he was using uh, AM mode uh, in order to do some of the tracking down. And that's that's one of the ways that's outlined in a pay in a an email that we that Joe and I found that describes how to set up your FT817. Um, with a short ducky antenna on a short piece of coax, um, and then almost use that as a sniffer type of probe as you're walking around on battery power, of course, but you're taking your radio and walking around the house and waving your wand around to, to try to find out when uh, or where the, uh, uh, the, the RFI, where the RFI source is. And, of course, when the noise gets louder, you're getting closer to it. And that kind of brings us to the uh, the topic that I, I wanted to review real briefly, and that is of the uh, it's that the what I call the project section of of the, our chat with the designer um, episode tonight, and this is uh, again featuring the Elector Tapper T A P I R. Um, there's a name for that totally appropriate, totally archaic. Oh gosh, I can't remember the acronym, um, but nonetheless, it's a it's a simple circuit that they show how to uh, to whip it up. And actually, it's a, it's a very clever way that the the case is made. It's made out of the printed circuit boards on which the project is made. But that's just a packaging thing. But as it turns out, this is a this is a project that uh, is a very simple three stage kind of amplifier. It's a low frequency amplifier with high gain and um, 
there's no low pass filter on it that that um, such that ultimately then the high frequencies are passed on to the gain stages and this way nonlinear characteristics of uh, the transistors are actually going to be demodulating much as I was describing before each pn junction every every pn junction there is going to be demodulating and ultimately getting amplified and causing a tone a buzz a noise to happen in the headphones and as you're walking around with a with an antenna plugged into the the K1 connector uh and the antenna uh is a home is is, is a, it's a homemade loop handheld uh little loop of wire in an RCA phono plug and uh, it's really easy to wave around walk around the shack and look for those uh the switching power supplies as Milt and I were talking about um uh, look for the the fluorescent or the compact fluorescent lamps and see if you can localize um, where that noise is coming from just by the sound that you're hearing in the, in the, um, the buzzing of the, uh, of this amplifier circuit. Now the, just to explain the circuit a little bit more, the, the bias point of the gain stage is automatically set by a DC feedback provided by R4 and R1. Um, and, um, then that C3 component in there takes the AC value out of it. Uh, it takes, uh, uh, any kind of any signals, any RF signals, and takes that uh, takes that to the ground. Now the output stage. Um, well, first of all, maybe a comment about the uh, the transistor the, the transistor T1. I, I guess I'll have to I can find maybe equivalents of these uh, uh, UK oriented uh, transistors, but uh, T1 is a is a high sensitivity is a high sensitivity one, and um, um, it's bed uh, has better noise figures essentially than the other the other ones, so it's able to essentially uh, generate more signal with the microvolts of of RF energy, RFI energy that's coming in. There's about a, a seven tenths signal of a DC level on the output of T3. So before it goes over to the headphones, we put a capacitor in there in order to take out that DC level and you just hear the uh, uh, the AC. Now the total gain of this is is enough to uh, to be able to hear whatever kind of intrinsic noise of, of the transistor T1 and again that's why it's important to get a low noise uh, type of transistor in, in that particular stage. And the very cool part about this as you see from the photograph is that um, you only need one um, double A cell that uh, actually it could be even a triple A, and might even be able to be used a uh, a uh, what do you call it a uh, um, a coin cell. But you only need about a volt and a half in order for this thing to work. 1.2 to 1.5 volts will make it work just fine. So now you've got the circuit built up and a little circuit. It doesn't have to be in a nifty uh, packaging, but you have on the uh, end of the packaging, just like Milt was describing with. Uh, uh, running around the house with with a small 440 Yagi um, on his uh, FT817, or it was a different radio, but um, you can try to localize uh, and correlate the timing of the, the egregious signals that are interfering with your your reception or or hopping on top of your transmissions, worst case, and just try to time it uh, to see if there's a time relationship or a a sound of the signal. 
uh, relationship. Most electronic devices are going to emit some type of a characteristic noise with a circuit like this or with a, a radio, as Joe and Milt had explained. The problem is is when it gets really, um, really high and persistent. And uh, if you can correlate it to what you're seeing in your or hearing in your radio, that's when you know you have a problem. In other words, you could you can take your little probe and and go on over to a, a CFL, a compact fluorescent light bulb, off in the in the family room, and you might be down in the basement shack, and you'll hear something. You'll likely hear something. You will hear something um, out of coming out of that CFL uh, little in the base of that uh, lamp. But it probably won't, or hopefully, won't be causing you problems down at the shack. But if you do happen to wave your wand near something that has the same kind of sound or frequency, you know, or the, the periodicity of the of the signal that you're that that you're hearing in the in your receiver interfering wise, then you've got the culprit. So that's when you can start taking mitigating effects. That's when you can go grab yourself a handful of toroids and maybe. Uh, block the RF from either getting out of the uh, the emanating uh, out of the uh, generating device or uh, protect your receiver from having some of the signals enter into it uh, by means of unshielded uh, keyboard cables or whatnot. Um, we didn't talk too much about grounding per se because grounding is is kind of uh, again this the K9YC paper is incredibly in, informative and he goes on to describe as as does the ARRL um, handbook on RFI. I, I wanted to mention that too. That's a very good one. I've got that. And these describe in, and that one especially the ARRL one describes it in pretty good terms that are understandable um, that not all grounding is the same. Um, you know, some people think the uh, a stake driven into the ground outside and is, is a uh, that the entire backyard is a is a big sink for all of the RF energy, and that's really not the case. Uh, again, coming back to basics, and I think if that was one thing we wanted to underscore for tonight, um, was coming back to basics of understanding what is what are, what are the signals that are coming across the shield um, that you're trying to keep away or separate or isolated from the actual signal levels uh, that you're processing. What are the devices that uh, are in your shack and around the house that could be causing problems? And um, another big underscore, kind of a big thing that I've taken away from this research, was the, that uh, twisted pair. The value of twisted pair is incredible um, compared to, uh, even in many cases, compared to shielded coax. Not necessarily for the RF signals that we're transmitting, but for shielding uh, low-level signals and so on. Um, twisted pair is is greatly effective, more so than I had recalled. And if, when you have an opportunity to be transporting signals across a bench, um, across the, the chassis inside uh, a project or something, twisted pair is indeed a good choice. And again, some of the resources we we point out in the reference section are are pretty helpful in that regard. Um, Questions uh, before I toss it over to Joe. Um, does anybody have any observations here about this evening and and some of the material that we're covering? Maybe, and what what particularly excites me about sessions like this is the the stories, the war stories that you know I had this kind of a problem and this is what I did to find it 
or to resolve it because I think each one of us can relate really well to uh, first-person uh, experiences such as that. Any questions or comments? Make just a quick comment about the uh, ARRL book. It's an excellent reference. It did help me uh, quite a bit in tracking down several sources of noise here, in particular the ones with the power line in the area of finding bad insulators, and in addition some bad uh, hardware, grounding hardware and the like, which was generating a bunch of trash. But uh, it's been good discussion here. Uh, back to you, George. Thanks, Mel. And uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, JJ, go ahead. Oh yeah, I, I uh, the experiences I had recently is, uh, you know, I went through the house. I had a loud, loud buzz on the, you know, I like DXing uh, long distance broadcast band, and I uh, started unplugging all the uh, wires throughout the whole house, and lo and behold, I found one of my. Uh, portable uh, switcher supplies was generating the noise and so it's it but it's not the switcher supply I found out it was a uh, low-cost version of a uh, second power supply I bought from my Vio laptop and it turns out if you buy a switcher on eBay a lot of times the the chintz costs out of it they'll they'll take out the filters they won't they won't build it with the roll-off filters oh interesting very interesting. Yeah, and there's a lot of shortwave listeners among us here. I, too, um, in, are in, in, am in that category, and that's the nature of that uh, um, that active loop that I was describing that I've got in the backyard. Joe knows what I have. I forgot the name of it, uh, but it's, it's a very wide band active loop for receive only, and it's just superb for um, uh, shortwave listening. And the nature of it is very much like what we're talking. We, it does a great job at shielding. It provides amplification at the loop and a great job of shielding, bringing the signal into uh, the, uh, the particular receiver. Yeah, so thanks for those comments, JJ. Other, um, other observations, other experiences, I'd, I'd love to hear. We'd love to hear about uh, some of yours that you, that you have had. Pete, you, uh, I see your light blinking. Yeah, uh, I could go on for a while because I've had numerous contacts over many years with uh, the power company, most of which uh, successful, uh, except for two of them, one of which they said, yep, we can find the noise. We can't find where it comes from, but we can find the noise, and we're not going to shut off half the city to figure it out. Uh, another problem I had once was a uh, noise at uh, 55 kilohertz, uh, quite loud, and the power company guy was fascinated because he'd never used his equipment at that frequency before. And he said, yep, I can hear it. It's not coming from our lines, so I'm sorry I can't help you, and I don't know where it is. And we never did find that. In both both cases, I moved before um, anything could be resolved on that. I did have a, a switcher power supply and a water pick, of all things, the stock power supply from the from the water pick generating uh, not not the water pick the uh, the rechargeable that wouldn't do it the rechargeable brown uh, brown uh, uh, electric toothbrush uh, was was a problem my noise right now that I've noticed increasing over the years is uh, frequently an S8 S9 noise on 40 meters and the other low bands even an S5 on 6 meters and it's just noise it doesn't have any it has no uh, obvious uh, characteristic no pattern on a scope that is that is uh, identifiable doesn't sound like anything other than galactic noise and 
it doesn't peak up at the power lines or anywhere else it has it doesn't peak up it does change from day to day but uh i i have no idea how to deal with that i can't uh, phase it out either with uh, uh antenna phasing so it's just uh, one of those things i guess uh, one has to live with well that's a good point uh joe uh, joe e what um i've been meaning to ask you that too because i've noted what pete said and what is the cause of of natural natural noise um and is it a reflection of man-made stuff that comes because of the the low MUF or um what what's cooking in that regard not sure what you mean by natural noise there are, there are a couple um one of the things mentioned i believe in the ON4WW stuff was um so-called precipitation static when you have um storms around with uh, wind blowing uh, could be a, a dry, just a dry wind or a sandstorm or even uh, water blowing against an antenna. It will generate static electricity and uh, that can cause a, a, a nasty frying sound. Um, far off lightning storms often, often um, the, the static crashes uh, are constant. If you receive them from a long, long distance away, they will cause noise. Um, up at um, UHF uh, microwaves, there's sun noise, but um, uh, most of the natural things uh, emanate either from sort of some sort of precipitation static or a distant, um, distant uh, thunderstorm. What a couple more comments, George. Sure. Okay, uh, one of the things that might you might find useful is to use a program like Spectrogram and connect the output of your receiver into the sound card and use Spectrogram to do a spectrographic analysis. And uh, you'll, it's interesting what you'll find, uh, especially run your receiver on AM mode, not, S, not FM or single sideband, but in AM mode. And what what you will see is if there is arcing where the arcing tends to be at the peaks of the AC cycle, you'll see the discrete lines on spectrogram. If you have more white noise due to something like uh, corona discharge uh, or something from DC, it'll be spread out. So you can you can distinguish some of that. And if you're dealing with power line noise, this is information that the power line the power companies are generally quite concerned about. Uh, I've, like I said, I have found a few different things here. I've been able to pinpoint specific power poles in the area, and the power company has been very appreciative of that. Uh, go ahead, George. That is that's very cool. Um, I, I I just I just echoed your comment in the text portion, so we can capture it for uh, for the whiteboard later on, and and that's that's very interesting. In fact. I'll bet you that there's even a way that some of the uh, the characteristic patterns of uh, of noise can be identified in the spectrograph uh, spectrogram programs, much as you know, and I know, and those anybody who deals with digital um, communication know that you can spot certain kinds of modulation, certain kinds of uh, digital mode uh, uh, um, algorithms. Um, just by the way that they look on the on the waterfall, 
but so that's the same kind of thing and it, it, it's pretty uh pretty cool yeah hi george uh well we've been uh, uh discussing here uh mostly uh received rfi but there's also the other side of the coin and it's generated rfi because i had a specific incidence uh with uh, my nue psk modem uh, I had the ever-popular Hong Kong keyboard for it, and unfortunately, uh, that uh, wiring on it is not well shielded. Now, of course, you can replace it, uh, but I took the tack of uh, just using a couple of clamp-on chokes. Uh, the problem was that as soon as I would start to transmit, the uh, nearby antenna would induce enough signal in the uh, wire from the keyboard uh, to bring RF inside the um, modem and it caused it to lock up and uh, I couldn't get a transmit uh, short of uh, uh, pulling the power cord. Uh, but that was the cure for that one. Yeah, that happened even with uh, the clamp-on uh, uh, clamp chokes. Right. Well, I put on some uh, chokes, and as soon as that was done, that cured the RFI problem, and uh, I was on the air, and it worked very well. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. Good, 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 good. Yeah, I, from the way you worded it, I wasn't sure if that indeed solved the problem or not, as it should have. So, um, but you're right. Any, and that's a good that's a good uh, reminder for any of us who have. Uh, you know, a, a standard rig, anything from uh, uh, one of the small AT, you know, the, one of Steve Weber's ATS rigs to a larger uh, commercial Kenwood, Yesu, whatever. Um, if, if you've got a cable going into it, maybe for your, like, headphones, you're taking the audio out and processing it. Um, uh, that's an opportunity for... It's an antenna, and like you said, you're collecting the RF energy that you might be transmitting. You're you're zooming it back into the rig, and it can't be doing any good. So just be aware that uh, whether you you shield it or just use different uh, uh, different techniques to get your signals out. Uh, for example, with uh, transformer coupling, that's that's a way to handle that. Yeah, it's a good thing to keep in mind. Uh, George, I have a comment or two on the uh, new PSK. Oh, please go ahead. Okay. Um, there are basically two um, two modes that will put three actually put the RF into the uh, the um, uh, lead from the keyboard. Number one, and probably the biggest one, is somebody using an antenna like a whip on a NFT817 and relying on the 817 and the interconnecting wiring for a ground. That means that anything in the system, anything wired to it, the power leads, the uh, keyboard lead, um, headphones, speaker lead, whatever will be a ground. So it's actually an inadequate antenna system. Number two, it's having the transmitter too close to uh, even a low power antenna. And number three is the same thing with a high power antenna. Uh, if you have it too too close to your antenna, you're going to you're going to put RF in the uh, device and uh, potentially cause problems. Was that all three? No, that's why I say two and three are the same thing. Um, even with low power, you 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 can do it very close, but with high power, it can be even farther away and still uh, conduct or still radiate enough into the uh, feed line uh, into the keyboard uh, uh, cable. Ah, interesting. Okay, that's uh, 
and again, it's it's not just with the uh, the modem. I mean, maybe maybe it could be with your packet modem <laughs> over in the New Jersey QRP uh, um, monthly meetings. We were talking about resurrecting an RBBS type of uh, packet communications bulletin board system as a means for um, communicating amongst members and maybe and that was just before the uh, the storm hit so maybe that would be a good thing to resurrect and have at uh, this Saturday's meeting Joe but anyways even if it's a uh, a packet radio box or some type of an audio filter uh, type of thing that you might have hooked up for uh, being able to uh, to fine-tune your audio experience anything has an opportunity any RF getting in there has an opportunity to kind of trip you up and uh, especially if you're transmitting if your rig is in close proximity of the transmitted antenna sometimes it's hard to avoid because the nature of uh, uh, to the field or in the field operation is that you are indeed close to the antenna um, or, or and especially if you use the miracle whip on the end of your um, FT817, it's it's going to be generating your RF and cause uh, problems. Just things to, to be aware of for sure. I think with an awareness of or a, a responsibility that even appliance operators, somebody just kind of gets a rig, plugs it in, and starts uh, uh, talking, which is a fine thing to do. But there comes an awareness of what is actually happening, and that's part of being a ham. Being aware of the technology and your use of it, and the kind of the ramifications and the ways that you can handle it. So this is uh, these are all great comments. Any other experiences? I love to hear the uh, um, Alan uh, W2AEW. I think uh, you you probably have encountered a bunch of of uh, conditions where you experience noise and and uh, ways that you can mitigate that. Uh, how's uh, how's my audio tonight? Sounds really good, Al. Okay, this is a microphone. I got to bang on my desk sometimes, so uh, that's why I wanted to double check. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I made a comment that uh, years ago I had a, some power line noise that was coming in. Uh, sounded like a, a dirty insulator or a bad insulator on, on a pole, and uh, went out hunting around with a, uh, a portable uh, shortwave uh, handheld battery-operated radio, and tracked it down to one of two telephone or you know utility poles. And I was out there with a friend, and we actually literally whacked the, the telephone pole with a with a baseball bat to see which one of them made a small change, you know, audible change in the noise, and figured out which pole it was, and was able to call it in. And usually the power companies uh, eager to fix those things because uh, a bad insulator like that uh, is leaking energy off the grid, and uh, it just costs them money. So. Um, and uh, I also had a, a problem here at this house. I moved in here about three years ago and had a fair amount of noise on 17 meters. And uh, it turned out to be the power supply for my wife's um, Nintendo Wii. And, not that, and just the fact that the power supply was plugged in. Uh, the Wii wasn't on, but just the standby switching currents uh, from that Wii power supply gave me a, you know, about an S6 or S7 noise level on uh, 17 meters. So uh, the only other one that I've got that I know where it's coming from, but I can't do anything about it, is uh, I've got a neighbor with a plasma TV. 
that uh, gives me a big hash of S, well over S9 noise on 75 and on 40 meters about every 30 kilohertz and uh, so when he's watching his TV I can't uh, I can't operate on those I spoke with him about it and uh, you know he agreed that when he goes to replace the TV he probably won't get a plasma <laughs> so but that's not all I can do short of uh, sabotaging his uh, his TV which I won't do anyway that's uh, some of my stories oh man that that's really interesting about the plasma um, and also the we um, there were many of us with kids, especially or or not, maybe our own wees, um, have have could have that condition uh, happen. And the plasma story was was uh, iterated by the OM2 um, fellow whom I quoted on uh, on our whiteboard. So uh, definitely check out the plasma his plasma comments, plasma TV comments. I think a good moral. We'll, we'll wrap it up now. We're getting kind of late. Um, a good moral or, or summary comment along this line, similar to what I, I said a moment ago, is that we as hams have the ability to really ferret out what the, the offending problems are uh, that technology is throwing at us, whether it's a switching power supply, a plasma TV, a sodium arc a lamp that isn't firing on all cylinders out in the, along the street. Or in the case of the OM2 fellow, uh, a train going by. Oh, and the comment to what Joe had mentioned before about uh, weather. Um, again, there is a sample noise. Um, there is a noise sample link for snow on an antenna. Now, the guy admits that it's a little, little extreme, and one could argue that it's not really uh, RFI or any kind of interference, just a natural occurring thing. But the point is is that noise naturally occurs, um, sometimes unintentionally, well, usually unintentionally, and most often it can be mitigated, either by moving things like that HP85 monitor that Joe had mentioned, you know, turning it 90 degrees and nulling out the, uh, nulling out the noise. Um, as Milt was talking, running around the house and finding the uh, uh, some heater that was coming on and Make sure that it isn't on when you wanted to operate. Um, or as Al had just had gone through and said, well, I can't operate when the kids are watching the plasma TV. Being aware of our environment, our RF environment, is, and being able to control it is all part of the game. And I think that's, what, that re that's one aspect that really differentiates us as technologists, as hams, and being aware of, of uh, the physics we might not have all of the the answers and the nth level of derivations and causality and, and might not even be able to spell um, things in, in, in the total right way. But the point is, is that we're understanding it to the point where we can control it or modify it such that when we turn on a rig and hear noise, a shortwave radio, we hear noise. And if there's buzzing and clap, you know, all sort of clatter going on, we're not we're not stymied by it. We we know what it is, and it's a bit of a challenge to kind of go out and kind of conquer that. And that, to me, and and I know it to Joe too, because we we do so many of the things that uh, that we do together and in tandem and so on, and bounce things off of each other. But that to us is the is this part of the fun and part of the game of of conquering and using radio as we want to be using it 
to be improving our situation and, and we're in control of it to be going out and bettering our uh, our operating environments and our stations and our grounds and our feed lines and our antennas and get rid of the rotten switchers that might be under the bench power and the LCD monitors and kind of just make it a, a better uh, better experience overall. And in the process, of course, we grow. We learn about the technology as we apply it. And uh, I'm really into education these days to, and how educators, the, the pedagogy of, of uh, learning is concerned and hands-on doing is what it's all about. And that's what we, I think, here in Chat with the Designers, we do uh, really well and it's fun to be learning from each other along the way. Joe, do you want to kind of wrap it up and take us home and close down the session? Certainly. Uh, yeah, I have uh, two, two comments. First of all, um, we discussed, and it ties a few things together. We discussed um, uh, trying to characterize the uh, uh, characteristics of the signals that uh, are causing the interference. Uh, we have a URL early on in our chat with the designers, which um, which you can look at, which is awr.org/soundsofrfi, which has recordings of. Uh, various interferers and identifies what they are uh, so that you can tell them by ear. Similarly, the ON4WW um, site has some audio. And what you can do to tie that into a spectrogram is also tie that into spectrogram so that you not only know what the, the interference sounds like, but you can get a snapshot of it in, um, in frequency. Look at the picture of it and get a better idea to characterize and try to tell what the interferer might be. Second point was um, with the um, uh, uh, twisted pair. I mentioned using uh, shielded line. What I meant was twisted shielded balance line. And one of the beauties of that is that um, when you use that, you're ground independent. If you have um, cables running between hither and yon, you can get additional noise uh, benefits, noise shielding by putting shielding on the on the uh, shielded twisted on the uh, balanced pair, the twisted balanced pair, but you use shields and you don't connect the shields at both ends. Um, you only need them at one end, so then that conducts the noise into the shield away from the equipment, so that you don't end up with, uh, making more ground loops as you would with a uh, single-ended shielded cable. Anyway, enough uh, enough editorializing. Uh, tonight we uh, presented a, a whole um, spectrum, so to speak, of um, information on uh, received um, radio frequency interference. Tried to identify a number of sources, a number of ways it gets into your equipment, um, and presented some techniques for identifying what they are so that uh, you can look for the potential sources and uh, try to either eliminate the sources or to mitigate them by means of uh, positioning of the equipment, your antennas, uh, using shielding or filtering on, uh, on the equipment and your, your uh, uh, feed lines in order to uh, lessen the effects of the interference. We've had some excellent um, anecdotes, some information from people who've been through uh, some of the problems that uh, really narrow down uh, uh, what goes on and what you have to look for and some tricks of the trade, so to speak, to, uh, to lessen, the, uh, lessen the problems. 
Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, I think we had a good session. And uh, by all means, check out the references at the end of the white page. There's some fantastic information there. And uh, if you read it and internalize it and uh, try to use, uh, use it in light of some of the uh, uh, practical information we've, uh, we've presented here, I think uh, you could go a long way to uh, eliminating your, uh, your noise problems. 73. Good night, everybody. Thank you.